Hey, Packaging Peeps, it's Valio Matos, the host of Package Design Unboxed. In today's episode, I talked to Buttermilk Creatives founder and creative director, Andy Kurtz. They are a packaging design agency with a whole hell of a lot of food and beverage experience. A few years ago, Andy and his wife, they left a stable full-time position as designers to launch Buttermilk Creative. Then they moved into a house with a separate structure that now serves as their office. So talk about a quick commute to work. If you want to learn more about Andy Hunt him down on Clubhouse. He and Kirk Visola host a weekly CPG packaging room, which I highly recommend. Everything people are talking about today is that they want to launch their own gig. They want their own agency or they want to be that freelancer that's traveling around the world working from their laptop. Well, this is a perfect episode for you because here's what you're going to learn. Here's what you're going to get out of this episode. Number one, how to leave a full-time gig to launch an agency. We get into the nits and grits about setting up LLCs, moving your 401ks, and just gaining the confidence to make the move. Two, how to get your clients. Now that you've launched your agency, you need clients. You need to get paid. We get into how Buttermilk Creative finds new clients and how they approach sales. Number three, if you're considering hiring designers for your startup agency, hear how Buttermilk Creatives grows their remote team. But before we dive in, go to packagedesignunbox.com and leave a review on the site. I want to give a quick shout out to listener Solicamo, who says, awesome podcast for a growing industry. Thanks, Solicamo. And he goes on to say, glad to see more people are taking the strategies behind packaging design to podcasts. An easy listen and keeps me in the loop on what industry leaders are doing. Keep it up. All right. Thanks again, Solicamo. I plan on keeping it up. If you want a pre-show shout out, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll go out there and find it. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We've got Andy Kurtz from Buttermilk Creative. He is the creative director and founder there. Andy, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Avilia. How are you doing? Great. Awesome. You've been on some of our clubhouse calls. You have your own clubhouse meeting. Uh, I've been on there. He's doing really well. So, you know, tell our listeners who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. So as you said, um, I run, I run uh, Buttermilk Creative and it's Mainly, we mainly focus on packaging design for specialty food and beverage. We've just found that uh, when you really differentiate yourself and position yourself, you can start to carve out a niche, you know, with your um, particular target audience. And as you know, there's a gajillion talented studios out there, big and small, that do amazing packaging design. And we just feel like we can sort of carve out a bit of a niche with uh, adding that specialty food and beverage um, sort of focus. And that really comes from our experience uh, in, in our background and our history. So when I first started designing, I worked for a specialty grocery store called The Fresh Market, and it's headquartered here in North Carolina, but they've got stores up and down the East Coast, and there's some in the Midwest. But it's basically, you know, it's a it's a small format specialty grocery store. And I was there for seven years heading their in-house uh, design department, supporting, you know, all the initiatives of the business. So like brochures and uh, point of purchase stuff and uh, signage and all that kind of stuff. But we also worked on their private brand packaging design. And what was unique about how they approached it at the time was there was no line look. And so we really let the product in the manufacturer really define what the look was going to be. And really, it just had the Fresh Market logo on there somewhere. And that became the brand almost for their product brand. So normally, you know, like if you think of a Whole Foods or a Publix, they have very, very defined line looks between the different categories and the different products and things like that. We threw that all out the window. And while that was sort of maddening and sort of crazy, um, it was also an interesting challenge to sort of blank slate these projects every time and really do a lot of research into the, the manufacturer, the product, and really pull um, interesting details. So like with Italian chocolate, we did these like, um, these like uh, illustrations of these theater characters because that's, there's the um, Italian Renaissance and things like that. And we did marble paper because that was another reference to the Italian Renaissance. So, you know, just really gave us a lot of freedom. And so was there for seven years. And when it came time to, to leave and sort of started to formulate what I wanted to do with Buttermilk Creative, I knew I wanted to do packaging design for 
clients, you know, do exactly what I was doing for the fresh market, but do it for our own clients. So I did that about six years ago in 2015, at the beginning of 2015, we've been going strong since. So you got this regional grocer and they've thrown out, the, they've thrown out like any type of system and every project that you're developing, you're basically developing it from scratch because you're not pulling from other areas other than having the logo. So from a branding perspective, it's, it's not what you would typically do. Yeah. But from a designer perspective, it's great because you're, you're not having to follow a guidebook, right? So you're creating everything from scratch. You know, you're able to test things, um, you know, see what works, what doesn't work. And like, for example, like that Italian chocolate, if that, if that line didn't sell, were you able to go back in and maybe redesign it and tweak it and do any kind of testing? Or was it just whatever you designed at that point becomes that product for the rest of its life? Yes, it was, it was, that was, that was what we would do. It really, um, they were at the height of their product development. They were probably putting out maybe 150 products a year under the private brand name. And so it was a ton of stuff. So like whether a product failed wasn't necessarily maybe because of the design of it. <laughs> um, I'm sure the grocery buyer would like dependent on us, but it could be pricing, you know, it could be not the right product or the right, all the reasons why products fail. But, but I think what would be interesting is now the fresh market does have a line look. And I think it would be interesting to sort of look at the data from like, when they introduced that to when we were doing sort of the um, the the one-off designs and sure. sort of see which ones, because really I think people didn't, on one hand, like you say, it's a weird branding exercise because on one hand, you need you want that consistency and recognition. On the other hand, um, it became the brand. Like people expected, for, to not really recognize that it's a fresh market product and it's just a neat artisan pasta or whatever. Sure. And then, so you were there for seven years that after uh, fresh market, you launch buttermilk. Correct. Yep. So that's a huge jump, right? You're at, you're at a, a you know, you're in-house for a certain amount of time. You've learned all sorts of stuff. So I'm assuming you're doing concepting, you're, you know, you're working with designers, creative directors, or you yourself get promoted up to a uh, creative director. So you, you learn all the ins and outs. What's that jump like? And, you know, if I go online to buttermilkcreative.com, you've got like a full site, you've got all these projects, you've got all this photography, you've got all this great stuff behind you. But when you make that jump, you don't have any of this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that, that jump. You know, what was the decision? You know, did you decide to leave? Did they ask you to leave? And then... Was it a matter of I'm going to find another job or I'm going to launch this thing? Yeah, no, it was it was um, it was something that was brewing for a while, and um, and I always I always say that I probably spent probably two two years extra too long, you know. There is probably five years is when I should have left, but I just you know timing went right and everything, and it really wasn't uh, it it really didn't start to the idea didn't really start to gel from like a um i don't know from a from a like a have to do this type of thing until i was um became a father and then we actually lost a child and so that was at the end of of 2014 is when that happened and so all this you know you sort of so you know my son was 2 years old at the time and then we lost a child and really, it was like this sort of concept of like, okay, that I have, I'm going to bring up my son into, you know, this office that I'm not inspired by. And then to have a massive life change and a massive uh, perspective of like, you know, just, just, you know, your perspective is re reconfigured, you know? Sure. And so through that, it was just like, well, I have to do this. I can't waste any more time, you know, being here doing what I don't love. And so after taking time off, that's what 2015, the start of 2015, it was like, all right, we're, we're launching no matter what. And you're right. Like International Direct Packaging is the only factory direct packaging manufacturer with global showrooms. They design and produce packaging for established luxury brands. Because IDP's team of packaging experts design and manufacture packaging, you get a more transparent supply chain. And you're also not going to be paying distributor markups. 
Find the nearest IDP showroom to schedule your first packaging consultation at idpdirect.com. Because IDP doesn't source factories, they are the factory. idpdirect.com. That's what 2015, the start of 2015, it was like, all right, we're, we're launching no matter what. And you're right. Like, you don't have all the work, you don't have the portfolio. So you really just hit the ground running. I mean, luckily, I, I was able to use a lot of the, the packaging design from the fresh market as my base and, uh, and, and sort of have good pictures of those and stuff. But, but really, it is just like that first year, you're just like, scrambling, you know, and like, that was, that was our, as a family, that was sort of our decision was like, okay, within six months, if this isn't a viable thing, then we say, okay, that was a, that was an interesting experiment. And so um, let's go do something different and try to find a job somewhere else. But yeah, no, it's terrifying. And it's, it's sort of like, you look at it and you're like, it seems like alchemy, you know, going from a paycheck in almost turning away business, you know, as an in-house person, you know, you sort of like, don't, you you know, you sort of resist getting new projects because they put a lot on you to now scrambling to get projects, you know, and like get in front of people. So it's an interesting mindset, but, but you really, you know, you have to have a good framework and a plan in place and just trust the process that it's gonna, if you work on marketing and all that kind of stuff, all the elements, it all come together. So you lost a child, which I cannot even imagine um, what kind of an impact that has on, on, on somebody's life. Um, so I'm really sorry to hear that. And doing that, having that be kind of like the catalyst to, to make this life change, you know, yeah. to bring up your son in this, I'm going to build, I'm going to build something my way. Yeah. You don't want your kids to see you trudging off to work, miserable yeah, <laughs> and thinking, that's life. Yep. Right. You want to inspire them and show them, look, I'm passionate about what I do. You know, I can't get enough of this, you know, and, and that excitement, right. You want them to be excited about growing up doing whatever it is that they're, that they're going to do. Yeah. You know, so amazing that you made that shift. Um, you say you started, you know, when you first start off, you've got zero clients or did you, did you leave? Well, when you left, did you have any like side work, any clients, or did you leave and have like zero clients and you're starting from scratch? We had some, some clients. So like, yes, there's a, there was some long nights coming into the, you know, just sort of like doing the double duty there. Uh, so yeah, we had a couple of, of client work and, and just trying to build a base, you know, before launching, but, uh, but no, it wasn't, it really wasn't. I mean, if you wait till you have a big client roster, you're gonna, you're gonna go crazy, you know? And so you have to, you have to just sort of make that leap. Uh, I wouldn't recommend doing it without any clients, but, you know, have one or two and have some work from them. Uh, you know, you've written some proposals and things like that before you take the leap. So yeah, we, yeah. we had some, and then, you know, once you, once you don't have a day job and this is your focus, like you can get in front of a lot of people and, you know, do a lot of marketing and stuff like that. So you can be very productive. <laughs> right. So did you, um, all right. So you, you've got a full-time gig, you've got, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've got health insurance. You've obviously you got a steady paycheck. Yep. Then you go to buttermilk creative. Um, and it's just you, correct? It's me and my wife, uh, who was also at the Fresh Market. She headed up the store design team. So she worked on uh, new new store layouts and remodels and things like that. So she was there actually for nine years. So we had that bridge too, which is always comfortable too, you know, because you can piggyback on the, the benefits of that spouse. So we had that, but we knew eventually that was, she was miserable there too. (laughs) So we knew eventually it was going to have to happen. She just wasn't comfortable like leaving like right away. And so, so we, we knew it was coming. So I did a bunch of research on like the healthcare marketplace and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, eventually you just have to bite the bullet and do that go that route for insurance and, you know, and then set up your own, you know, roll over your 401k to an IRA, you know, all that kind of stuff um, that you need to continue doing just because you're now a 
a, a self-employed person or a small studio doesn't mean all the stuff you did in-house under your cushy job, you don't do anymore. You gotta, gotta maintain all that. It's so important because a lot of times designers, we just, we just focus on the work. Yeah. Right. We just want to design. We want to come up with whatever the next thing is that we're working on. And we just want to throw our, our entire selves into that. And we forget about taking care of ourselves. Yeah. We forget about like the insurance, 401k, making sure that, you know, all these different things that we, that we need to take care of ourselves or our marketing suffers, you know, our own branding suffers. Yeah. I mean, you know, trying to come up with your own website is like the most horrible thing you possibly <laughs> ever do. Yes. <laughs> so, um, great. So then you, you're there. So your wife leaves two years later and then she joins Buttermilk. She does. Yeah. She's, and she becomes the studio director, basically just getting all the, keeping me on task, sort of being that, that second set of eyes that's not in the work all day, every day. So she can yeah. sort of look over my shoulder and say like, why are you, why are you messing with that particular concept? The client doesn't want to proceed with that, you know, and stop trying to make it work, do what they said. <laughs> um, and she doesn't get caught up in all the sort of, like you say, all the sort of designery stuff. Um, and then also, you know, just keeping up with the proposals and invoicing and, you know, keeping track of all that. Um, sure. Cause that was tough. That first two years, I was just sort of like managing all that. Um, and it just gets, uh, yeah, you get very scattered. Yeah. I don't want to make this an entire episode about like all the, all the business, you know, all, all the different things you got to do to bit launch a, a business, but it's so important. So, all right. So you, you, you leave, you, you talk about, you know, we discussed insurance, we discussed 401k. Um, how quickly do you launch uh, an LLC or, you know, incorporate? So I, I almost, that was launched immediately like as soon as i left i think our our like whatever um which we've gone through a couple different entities but at the time we were in an llc with a s corp elect so we could do payroll i know i'm getting very in the weeds here but anyways that was january 5th, uh january 5th i think was when we would file with the secretary of state and so um so so yeah almost immediately I tried to do as much as I could, like get an accountant set up, a bookkeeper, do all that kind of stuff from the get-go and start paying for that of the business. Because I knew if I would wait and just say, oh, I can do QuickBooks by myself, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that. You'll, you'll get too comfortable. And you just, if you just never miss that money, then it's, then, you know, there's, there's just certain things that you just need to Go ahead and just pay, bite the bullet, pay for it, and uh, and just do from coming out of the gate. No, and it, it's so important to just make sure that you've got all this groundwork laid before you, you know, dive into the work. Because you're right, if you're if you're doing the work and then you're also doing the QuickBooks, you're doing the, you know you're yeah. doing the invoicing, you're following up on what tends to happen. And this has happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to a million other people too. Is you end up doing eighty percent of the work is chasing down money. Yeah. Right. And then 20% of the work is actually doing design, which is why you did this in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, so super, super smart. Um, you said your wife left two years after, mm -hmm. like from a financial standpoint, was there like a, a number that you had to hit in terms of the number of clients that you're getting and, um, you know, how much you're billing in order for her to leave comfortably? Or was that also like a big, scary jump? <laughs> it was a big, <laughs> scary jump. So even before I left, we had, we got advice from like a, a business coach to like come up with, just create a simple spreadsheet of like uh, need to haves and nice to haves monthly. And, you know, that includes, you know, TV subscription stuff and that kind of like very like, um, you know, sort of luxuries that we, we've, we wanted to be comfortable. So we had these two numbers uh, and that was our break even. And so really it wasn't until we could, we could see not necessarily buttermilk wasn't replacing her salary by any means, but we could see the projection and we could really map out after two years, you have two years of, of data and we like yeah. obsessively track our sales process and our, our funnel and all that kind of stuff, our conversion rate. And so we could sort of you know, run these like projections, like through two years, three years, five years. 
and understand where the business was going and that we could support that break-even number. But really, I mean, that's that's what you have to do. Like you have to have these sort of um, uncomfortable conversations with, with your spouse because they're along with it too. But the more you have those conversations, the more real it becomes and the easier it is to say like, well, this is not a surprise. I've been talking about leaving for months now. You know, we've done the planning. We know the number, the break-even number. We're going to get it no matter what. And so, but it still was scary when she left. Um, but I don't know. You know, it just, it's, again, it was probably two years too long for her too. <laughs> but she really, the people there, I'm not, I'm not, definitely don't want to come off as bashing the fresh market. The people there are amazing. It's just, yeah. you know, in-house work is amazing. And like, I feel like I lived through the renaissance of it. Like when I started how, you know, how design conference wasn't doing an in-house component. They just had like one session during their design yeah. conference. And through the time, my tenure there, they had, they had added a whole nother arm of the how design conference just fo focused on in-house, you know, Andy Epstein, like he's just an incredible like speaker around in-house stuff became a mentor. I got to meet Tim Cox from Publix. The he, he just retired, but you know, I've got to meet all these cool people and be inspired. And also people at the Freshmark are really great too. It just, you know, that just it runs its course and you want to do something different and, and new. And um so yeah. Yeah. No, you know, a hundred percent. I've I've been in the same situation where you're there a little too long. Right. But you don't realize it. You you I think you I think you feel it. Yeah. Right. When you're showing up and you're just kind of like, yeah, maybe this isn't right, but you, you're like, no, this is just a, you know, you go through your ups and downs. You're like, this down. is one of the, one of the downs. I'm, it's going to come back up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think once you feel that it's time to start making exit plans, cause it's not fair to the business or yourself, right? You exactly. want to just jump, jump and make that next move. Yeah. So now you've grown, um, so you've grown buttermilk and is it still just, uh, you and, and your wife, or now you do you have a full team and, and how big is that team or how do you work? It's still just us. And that really is very intentional. So when we were at the fresh market, both from a architecture um, studio uh, perspective, and then also from a design and advertising agency perspective, like we would, we as the in-house designers would interact with those companies that would come in and and help us launch a new signage, you know, uh, design or some kind of new branding exercise or whatever. And you would, you know, we'd hire these big name agencies and they would wine and dine us. And then I would end up having to redesign the mood boards or redo this or redo the work, you know, and it just, yeah. it just didn't make it, none of it made sense. And so we really were like, well, if we're doing, if we're going to, do this the way we want to do it. We're going to remain intentionally small because we can have that one-on-one -on -one with our clients. They know who you're talking to through the yeah. whole process and, and just, you know, really make that connection and not be so, uh, I don't know, just try to be big for big sake, you know, and put on this front, you know, so we're intentionally small and that doesn't work for some of our potential clients that we talk to. They want to have a big agency and this all robust team, you know, and, and really, I think you can, you can really knock out great work with the right people. You know, you don't need a whole bunch, a whole 20 person team to do a big project. You might just need five people. So it just key right. positions. So we do bring in some folks uh, from our network when we need them, you know, like there's a senior designer that we work with, who's amazing, who uh, supplements some of my, my work. And then we have copywriters and uh, web developer and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's very, it's a, it's a focus group of folks that we go to. Um, but for the most part, it's just my wife and I knocking stuff out. That's, all, that's awesome, man. Cause you're, you're right. A lot of times, you know, you launch an agency, you feel that you're getting more work than you can handle. So you start bringing people in Yeah, right? and you don't necessarily do it. You don't necessarily plan it all out. It just kind of happens. Yeah. And you let it kind of go out of your control and sometimes it gets bigger than you really wanted it to be, which becomes more of a responsibility in terms of 
you're doing less of the design work. Now you're doing more managing. Now you're doing more build. You know, you're doing all these other things that you didn't really get into this to do. Yeah. So I love that you're just passionate about the design and doing great work, and you want to just focus on on that. Yeah. Right? Like it, it seems it seems so it seems so simple, <laughs> right? Like like you don't have to get big. You're right. You don't have to get big. You can remain small and just focus on the work. And that just sounds so dumb saying it. Because that's the truth. Like, that's what you should be doing is just, you know, focusing on the work. I'm looking at, uh, before we jump into some of the work, like, is there, is there another reason? Is there maybe another reason behind that, that you don't want to get, that you don't want to grow the team? Yeah, I, you're exactly right. And I think I, there's always been a bit of um, conflict within me because the, 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 especially the local studios and mentors that I have here in the, the Greensboro, Winston-Salem area, they all sort of maintain these studios of five to 10 people. And I sort of saw that as like the benchmark, like that's, you're going to start, start small and then build your team to this five to 10 studio. And that's where you are. And it just never really clicked for me from just a, like, I couldn't, it was hard for me to, it was easy for me to make the leap, um, to starting, it's a lot harder for me to make the leap to hiring somebody else. And so it's always been sort of, that's always been something that I feel like I, I need to scratch that itch. Then the pandemic happened and I watched these studios have to downsize and just, you know, they've, they've recalibrated and they're all remote now. And it almost, and that's pretty much how our, when we bring the team together, that's how we operate. We're all remote. We've been doing that for years and our clients too. And so I was like, God, it's almost like a, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise to never pull the trigger because I wouldn't want to be on, you know, I wouldn't want to be responsible for all these folks that I've hired. And now we have to reconfigure. And so I don't know, I've just become like very, you know, just like, okay with the fact that we are the size we are and we can bring in people when we need them, but we don't necessarily have to have this like staff. Um, and I, and I'm grateful that we were in that position when last year happened. So it's still happening. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I'm looking through your website and I'm looking at earth fair, you know, the e-com design, uh, I'm looking at all the other projects that you guys have going on here. And those are also about two years old. We have so much new stuff. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's so hard to keep track yeah. of your own website. Yeah. It's, like, it's great to do everybody else's work when it comes yeah. to your own. It, 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 you know, it takes a backseat. Sure. So looking at all, all of this, um, so a lot of times design agencies will also do some of the manufacturing. They don't manufacture themselves, but they become a distributor, right? Where they go and source the packaging and then they put a you know, 20%, 30% margin on the packaging and, and are able to help support everything else. Uh, with your team, do you also source the packaging or do you just hand over files to the client or hand over files to their manufacturer? How does that, how does that part of that work? So with most of the projects we work on, the the client has already, you know, they've already come up with whatever kind of production process they have. Sure. And so, so there's really not a format change, you know, they're just wanting new design on like a carton or on a bag or whatever, because of, you know, just being out in the industry and working with a lot of different um, vendors, we do have a pretty good network of folks we can recommend, but we don't, there's there are a few projects where we have to do a lot of hand holding between the client and the printer, and that we do charge a markup for that. But sure. that's like a small, um, small amount. It really, it's we don't want to be in that business of like having to deal with all that. So we're happy to like, but the, on the same hand, we always jump on the call with printers. We always try to help translate quotes because it's another language and to think that you yeah. can go from you know brewing you know whatever like making your own kombucha and now you're selling it to whole foods and now you're going to have to look at this you know printing quote to figure out what the moq is and all this whatever's you know all this gobbledygook 
it just, yeah, we were, we help them sort of walk through that, but, um, but yeah, we don't, yeah, I know. I think it's a bit of a, a an older way of doing things too, um, right. to do, to manage all that. And we just don't have the, 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 the want or the need to do it. <laughs> You're right. We, it, yeah. It's funny. You say it's kind of an older thing to do. Um, hundred percent. That was, I mean, that's the way that print brokers worked. Yeah. Right? There was, you'd go, you'd go to some guy and it was always a guy. And then you'd go to some old guy who had like a small little office. He yeah. didn't own any equipment. He yeah. didn't, um, he didn't design anything. I mean, he was yeah. lucky if he had a computer and, um, you say, this is, you know, this is the design. I want to get it printed. You know, what's it going to cost? And he's going to go out, you know, talk to all the local printers, get prices and come back to you and say, this is what it costs. And he's got, you know, 20% on top of that. Yeah. And it was so, it's so easy just for, it was always easy, but it's so easy now where, you know, a, a startup, you know, like I'm looking at blue marble organic ice cream on your website. You know, they can go to the printer or they can work with you and you can say, hey, go to this printer because I know they're going to do a good job. Yeah. And it just becomes, I don't know, I think it's really important for designers to connect with manufacturers. Yes. Build relationships. One, you're going to learn the back end, like, you know, production, like how things actually operate. It's going to make oh, you yeah. a better designer. And two, it's going to allow you to recommend manufacturers to your customers for packaging or printing or, you know, all these different things. It's going to help that customer build trust and loyalty with you yeah. because now I know, Oh, these guys aren't just in it for the money. They're helping me get to this final piece. And of course, selfishly, you want the best printer to produce your product. Yeah. So you've got a great sample. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And like that relationship, like you don't, especially you don't want to burn bridges with any kind of like pre-press folks or print reps or anyone like that, because you know, they're, they're really just, it's a, you, you have to have some patience with them, but like, and I'm sort of like generalizing, but, but you really, they're the ones that are going to take care of your files right before they go to press. And so, you know, you want to answer any questions as, as sort of wonky as they are, you know, like, well, you know, that some of your black on your file is 100% K and some of it is built for color, you know, and it's like, well, just fix it. Like, what do you need? You know, okay, put it all at hundred percent. I don't know. What do you need? <laughs> so, so, you know, but like it, um, a hundred percent, like once you, and like I, and this is partially because I bristle at this because I would have to do it when I was at the fresh market, but you know, we would come up, we would have this great print partner and then a year would go around and it's like, all right, time to time to go put the business out there and go do some RFQs. And I'm like, why? We have this great yeah. supplier. Like, what do we, why do we have to keep doing this? And, uh, and so, you know, if you can find great printers and great partners out there, just to stop searching so much, you know, obviously like I just had to, I put a question out on the, the, uh, Lumi Slack about the, um, the hot dog packaging. We have a client, yeah. potential client. I have no idea what that's called. I know it's a very specific, you know, and so somebody answered me on it, but, um, but so that's something new that I don't know anything about. I'll have to go find somebody to help me with that. But any kind, any of the other sort of more label printing, things like that, just go with who, you know, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. A lot of times, you know, startups feel that, um, you know, once they get past their launch, you know, once they've gone, they've done design, they've done manufacturing of their packaging, uh, and then they're actually, ro you know, rolling like where they're selling product. They feel okay now. It's time to go and quote out my packaging because I'm sure yeah. there's savings. Yeah, and, and a lot of times with manufacturers, that first order, you know, there's not a lot of money to be made in that order, right? There's a lot of sampling time. There's a lot of you know, there's just so much that goes in that initial ramp up that they're you know they're not making a ton of money. They're counting on order number two and order number three to yeah. then actually produce a, a, a profitable order. Yeah. And if you keep bouncing around, one, you have to do that whole ramp up every single time. And you might save 10 cents here or there, but you know, what are you giving up? Like, is it really worth it to versus building a long, trustworthy relationship? It's the same thing with an agency. Yeah, exactly. So looking at your at your two-year-old website, 
It doesn't have any new packaging on it. <laughs> um, you know, looking at like, you know, there's a, there's a definite style to buttermilk, right? I mean, the, the logo has, you know, buttermilk, obviously it's got a, a milk bottle for the L, um, but it isn't a, it isn't like a polished New York, Madison Avenue, you know, agency. Yes. Right. And that's not who you, that's not who you want to be. Um, and then I look at the work and the work feels like your agency. So what is that look? What is that style? What defines buttermilk? So I'm, I'm glad that all comes off because it really has just sort of been built over time, you know, like we had to have a website. So we launched something and then I've iterated the, you know, the past six years on it and just sort of move stuff around. So I'm glad that, that this, that, that feeling comes, comes across. I think the style is because of the clients we work with, they're usually small and they're artisan. And so really that's, they're handmade, handcrafted, a lot of the stuff. So that's what we want our work to come across as, as well. You know, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, getting our hands dirty. It's going to have some, um, character to it and just authenticity to it. And I think a lot of the, that look and feel that you see is just through the clients that we get and the products that they create. It's not, in no way, because I don't want to necessarily like, and I'm just because I love them so much, like stranger and stranger, you know, the, the, you know, they have such a distinct, like you can see a spirit bottle and you're like, I bet stranger and stranger did that. And it's impeccable, amazing, the most beautiful work you've seen, but there's a very particular style to it. And so I, I try to, i never wanted to set out to sort of do that. But yes, I think over time, it's sort of just with the type of work that we do, it's just become this sort of like handmade, uh, you know, sort of not rustic, but different small batch type of look and feel. So you said handmade, right? Which definitely can come across on some of these things, um, you know, handmade, crafted, um, you know, artisanal, you know, all these words definitely correlate to what you've designed here. Do you actually design any of this stuff by hand? <laughs> right. Where, which, you know, which I just, I just think, I just think back to like, uh, you know, like er early design stuff, right. Where you're, you're doing ink or you're doing, you know, you're, you're doing printouts on Xerox and then you're putting Bestine on the back of it to get like trans, like ink transfers and emulsion transfers and doing all these great things to get some cool textures and get some of these feelings. And I see a lot of that coming across on some of the work. Um, but I'm wondering, is it, is it all digital or do you actually get back into like some of these hand things? Like, you, are you pulling screens? Like what, you know? So no. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was so hoping you would say yes. You know? It's really, it's, it's a time factor, you know? Yeah. What I do, what I will say about that though, is I have a, I have a minor in printmaking and I've maintained, I'm in my own work printing and sketching. And so you have to be able to pull off convincingly handmade textures and handmade looks and feel, you have to have done it at some point. You have to be a student of it. You know, you have to be aware of, of textures and, and different surfaces and how they affect the, the, the light and the color and all that kind of stuff. And so while I don't do it like in process, you know, I've done it before. And so because of that experience, I can apply it to manipulate Illustrator and Photoshop to do what I need to do. Because, well, for one, it also makes the production easier. You know, like it's very expected. Like I know the spot color that I've that I've specified is going to print correctly. I might have applied like a, you know, a rough texture to it or whatever, you know, but like versus like I've just scanned in this like beautifully rendered drawing, but I have no, you know, like, I mean, you can color balance all that kind of stuff, right. but it just streamlines things. So, you know, the workflow, but you do have to have that background and expertise and experience. And, you know, you just look at, but then you look at like the advances in 
like um, digital brush that like the, you know, Adobe has done. And there's a, um, the, the artist that really took the lead on that, Kyle Webster, he actually lives 30 minutes from us. And so I've sort of seen him sort of develop that process. He's the same way. He was, he had been, you know, illustrating and watercolor painting and all this stuff for years and years traditionally. And then he just translated it to digital. And so we're just so lucky as modern day designers to have access to all this amazing technology to then, you know, basically make it look like it was made 50 years ago. <laughs> but we could do it a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just it, right? You can, you can iterate so much faster. You're not having to adjust, uh, yeah. you know, in time or anything. Uh-huh. Um, so looking through the clients, right? You're in North Carolina. Are your clients local, typically local, or how are they finding you? Are they finding buttermilk? Sure. So we have a handful of local clients, but most of our clients are all over um, the states. We have like one or two international ones and they're finding us through the word of mouth. And then also we just try to be active in the places they're active. So, you know, we've joined associations that like the specialty food association that's based in, in New York. And we participate in forums and events there. And then, you know, when we get back to it, they'll be doing the, they do the fancy food show, the summer and winter fancy food shows. And so it's going, showing up at the places where the people, our clients hang out versus when I started Buttermilk, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go all in and, you know, join, yeah, obviously still a member of like AIGA, but like, you know, go to design conferences and do all right. this stuff. And it's like, no, you have to go to the, <laughs> you know, the national cheese association, whatever, uh, trade show. And you have to do all these things. And, and that's, that's not only to find clients and get in front of clients, but it's also to know what they're going through. You know, what are the yeah. pain points around distribution around, um, you know, purchasing materials around, brokers and like getting into stores and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, you know, so we really try to, that's really where we try to find our clients is, is through those different channels. I mean, I think that's really important, right? Where you're saying, you know, if you've got an agency, if you're launching an agency, the IGA is great, I guess. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a member also. I've never had a single client come from AHA. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Makes you uh, feel good. <laughs> yeah, you feel good, but you're right. You're not getting clients from there. I've been to a million, you know, design conferences. Yeah. No clients there. Nope. Um, but you do build relationships. Sure. So, so that is, you know, so I'm kind of thinking through it here. Uh, yeah. You go to design conferences, you do build relationships. So those are, that's great, you know, from a networking standpoint. Um, but, you know, if you're trying to grow your studio, it's really about bringing on more qualified clients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're in this food, this packaged food arena. So, of course, you've got to go to where the food brands are, yep. where you're going to see the startups that are launching the new, you know, milled flour. Yep. And they're there to, to sell it to, you know, to find a whole food distributor, to find you know, a Publix distributor. And that's where you you can connect with them. Right? You can talk to them about their packaging. You can talk just even just networking in that in that area. Yeah, uh, makes sense. So if you're you know if you're starting an agency and you're you're doing automotive packaging, then you should be going to the automotive shows. You should be going to the automotive you know conferences. If you're doing you know just a surf you know if you want to focus on surf packaging, right? You know whatever that means. Like and you got to be going to the surf conferences. Right? Yeah. Same same thing. And it's funny because a lot of times people will save up and go to these design conferences because you get like to be around other designers and you're you recharged. To, yeah. You recharge, you get the inspiration, Yeah, but it doesn't build your business in the same way that going to a fancy food show type of a, of a conference would go. So like when you, when you would go to those, was it realistic to expect to walk out of there with a client, let's say within, within that, like within a six month period. So it was, yeah. And, and, but when I first started going to them, I had this burden of needing to close some kind of deal, you know, during the food show. We've got three days. 
I gotta, I gotta rationalize how much I've spent on travel and all this kind of stuff. You know, so I have to come out of here with a new client, a new project. And over time, as we've sort of looked at it, it's just become more of a, that's how we recharge ourselves now is, you know, when we do the, when we go up to the fancy food show in New York, the, we, we do the show, but then we also do things around New York and we go to the theater and we go to museums. And so that's how we rationalize. It's like, you know, what, let's take the pressure off of selling and just walk the floor, get inspired, see some clients that we haven't seen um, lately and just try some new food. And if we get something from there, it's great. If not, then it's no, not a big deal, you know, because yeah, we're, we are building, we're building networking and things like that because we also want, we've also sort of reconfigured our, our strategy because we want to be respectful of the folks that are there, the brands that are there that have invested 20K, 30K. And here we are, the goobers coming up like, hey, what's the <laughs> packaging? Do you need help? You know, like, oh, we'd right. like to help you. You know, like, for, for first of all, you can't really do that. It's not, you're not really supposed to sell if you don't have a booth. So there's that thing, but then it's also <laughs> just, uh, you know, I want to respect them and, and the fact that what the, their, their purpose is to get a buyer to buy their food, um, yeah. not to purchase new design stuff. <laughs> so now if that conversation does come up, you know, and they're like, Oh, what do you guys do? You know, cause there are some of the brands are just total turds. And then some of them are really nice and really just want to talk to you about what you do. And those, those, those folks are great. Um, but yeah, we try to be respectful. <laughs> yeah. The, all right. So, so pro tip, if you're a design agency that you're just starting out and you're wanting to go to one of these conferences and learn about whatever that industry is and also sell your product, uh, you know, your design services, don't out, don't sell your design services. Yes. <laughs> right? you're, you're just there to meet people. Yep. Let them know who you are, uh, find out about what they're doing. And, you know, by let them know who you are means let them know that you're a nice person. Exactly. Right. Human being. <laughs> that you're, yeah. That you're approachable, that you're, you know, you're not there to sell them. Cause once you, once you go, Hey, once you become that goober where you're like, Hey, I like your packaging, I can help you. People just shut you up. You know, yeah. you're a car salesman yeah. at a, you know, it just, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. As we start to wrap up here, what do you do? Like at the end of a, uh, end of a tough day, right? Where you lean back in your chair and you say, you know, I can't believe that I get to do X, like, like that you're so excited. Like, what is that one thing that you do every day with buttermilk that gets you up in the morning? <laughs> it's the, it's the privilege of being able to, to basically, I, I've talked about this earlier. It's the alchemy of it. You know, like it's literally you know, starting with nothing and then, you know, getting clients and then the clients pay you, you work on stuff and then the clients pay you. And it's very, it's, it's a uh, mysterious and I don't know how it happens. I mean, I do know how it happens, but you know, <laughs> over six years, I think I've figured it out, but like, it still is amazing to me that I can do what I want for people that I want to work with and be happy about it. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't get burned out, you know, and like sort of, I do get on those slumps, but then I'm like, like you can sort of see behind me, like we've, we moved in September and our new house has an exterior building in the back that has become our, our office studio. And so I can sort of have that commute, but it's through our backyard. Right. <laughs> like, because my wife has uh, an interior design background, she designed it all. It's like 90% done. So don't, it's not totally finished, but it still is like this really neat design space that I can be inspired by. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's what I do. I lean back and I'm like, holy cow, like we support our family and we have nice things and we get to eat regular meals <laughs> by doing what we love. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's very, it, yeah, it's you. And you have to remind yourself of that frequently because you can get sort of bogged down with like the minutia of it. but. When you think about, when you step back, you're like, this is really cool. This is so unique and very different. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree, man. Uh, I mean, you, when you think that you're able to support your family doing what you love, um, 
is, is amazing. Now you were doing that. You're supporting your family when you were in-house and you loved doing that. Yeah. But it's so different when it's yours. Yeah. Right. You're not counting on anybody to take care of you and, and you're doing it. So I think if you're a designer out there and you're considering launching something, if you're you know, thinking about making this leap, I think you can do it. And, you know, Andy, you've kind of shared a, a great way to plot your course, right? You know, setting up, you know, setting up an LLC, not forgetting about yourself and, you know, rolling over those 401ks, like all those little things I think are important for a designer to do. And we tend to forget to take care of ourselves because we want to just jump into the work. Sure. And I think if you set up a great foundation like you have, you can build a wonderful agency like what you've done with Buttermilk, right? Where the, I look at the site, I look at the work. It just feels like you're having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And, um, and I think obviously your, your background, both of your backgrounds at, um, you know, in the grocery space and developing all this packaging and not just developing packaging and hoping it gets sold, but actually being there and seeing it, you know, on shelf and the way that, you know, customers interact with that packaging has got to, you know, I mean, you must've gotten a ton of experience from that, that you apply every day. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, I'll just briefly hit on that real quick. Like we were, we would have the opportunity to sit in um, samplings and cuttings and tastings with our grocery buyer friends who, and we'd hear what their feedback is, you know, like they wouldn't put something on the shelf because it didn't have the right nutrition fact format, you know, or like it didn't have a UPC and they're not going to coach the, the, the maker on how to get it shelf ready. They're just not going to put it out there. It might be amazing product. So we always make sure, um, you know, to, to run through that checklist of making sure everything's compliant and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and yeah, we feel like we have a pretty good handle because we were in those, those uh, cutting conversations, category reviews and things like that. Just, you know, being just listening to, to what really piqued their interest because what aesthetically design wise might not be what the grocery buyer, what piques their interest. You know, right. you have to sort of balance that. So yeah, yeah, we we're very fortunate that we had that experience to to sort of bring to our clients who are they're all trying to get in front of grocery buyers. So we try to give them a fighting chance. <laughs> that's that's amazing, man. That, that's awesome. Andy, so if anybody wants to learn more about buttermilk um and they want to reach out to you, if anybody's interested, you know, if you're a startup and you're in the food space and you want you know amazing packaging design for your product on shelf, what's the best place for them to find you? So you can go to buttermilkcreative.com or you can send me an email, heyandy at buttermilkcreative.com. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Andy for being on and thank you for listening.